Well, as you're seated, grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you or underneath your seat, and uh, go to John chapter 1. It's on page 886. While you're turning there, we're in a series kind of finishing up today that we've called Carols, where we're kind of wanting to recapture some of these great Christmas hymns of our faith and then unpack and try to help us understand the theology that lies underneath them. And so we've said a lot of stuff about this, and there's some amazing carols that are teaching us things if we'll let them teach us. They're sort of mini sermons. And so we've talked about how God has given us songs and He's given us uh, music. It was His idea to help us fight for our joy, to help us in our Christian faith so that we don't just walk around mindlessly singing tunes in our head, but we understand there's something rich and meaningful in this. And so as we sing them, then we can remember the greatness of Jesus Christ and the greatness of what God has done. And tonight we get to uh, a really fascinating uh, uh, hymn, a carol that's called O Holy Night. O Holy Night was written by a man by the name of Placida Capo. He was uh, a Frenchman and uh, he was the commissioner of wine in his small little French town. Didn't even know there was such a thing, but in that day apparently they, he was the commissioner of wine and the, the local parish priest asked Placida if he would, if he would uh, write a Christmas poem for Christmas Mass that was coming up. He felt very honored. Um, he was not uh, particularly uh, a faithful churchgoer, and so he was a little bit stunned that the priest would ask him. But so he sat out, and he, he tried to think about what would I write. And so he's riding along in his carriage, and it's nighttime, and he's looking out, and he decides, you know what? I wonder what it was like on that first Christmas night. I wonder what the feeling was. I wonder what was going on. And so that inspired him to take up pen and paper and, and write down this Christmas poem. And he titled it, Cantique Noel. Uh, the, the, the Christmas song, and, um, and, and, he, and he took that, and he thought, boy, these are such powerful lyrics that has been written. He actually went to a friend of his who was a composer by the name of uh, Adolf Adams, and interestingly, Adolf Adams was Jewish. I <laughs> thought it was kind of funny that Placido would give him this uh, poem to put music to a, uh, a, a theme and a, and a poem that had to do with a Savior that he didn't believe in, and so he took that, and he composed this wonderful uh, composition underneath these lyrics, and, uh, and that became Cantique Noel. It began to get, be sung in French churches uh, uh, all across France. Uh, later on, uh, Placida Capot became a socialist, and uh, when, the, when the church officials found out that he became a socialist and that the, the music was actually written by a Jewish man, they decided to ban this song from French churches. But the French people were not going to be so easily tamed, and they said, you know, we love this song, and they began to sing it in sort of rebellion, and they did it, and it started to spread, and it became very popular all across Europe. Uh, It wasn't until 1813 when it came across the pond to America, a pastor picked it up in New England named John Sullivan Dwight. He picked it up, and he saw these lyrics in French. It was brilliant, and he translated them into English. Uh, and did a brilliant job, I think you'll agree, when you hear the lyrics, if you know the lyrics, to O Holy Night, and, and translated those so that we have today what we know as O Holy Night. But its, it's history doesn't end there, because on, uh, at 9 p.m. on uh, Christmas Eve of 1906, 
uh, Professor uh, Reginald Fessenden, he was the chief chemist for Thomas Edison, did what uh, some people thought was absolutely impossible. Using a, a, a new type of generator, he, he actually spoke into a microphone and was the very first person to ever broadcast his voice over what we now know as radio. Radio was not even around then, and Professor Fessenden was the first one to send his voice over the airwaves to be captured, and what he decided that he would, what he would say on that Christmas Eve is he picked up, he opened his Bible to Luke chapter 2, and he began to quote the Christmas stories. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar that all the world should be taxed. This was in the first year when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and he began to quote, and he goes all the way through the Christmas story. When he was done, he put down his Bible, he reached back, he picked up his violin, he was a violin player, and he began to play the very first song that ever went over the radio waves, Oh Holy Night. So it's this great history to this wonderful song. Now, when we think about that first Christmas, it's interesting how many things happened at night. Right? that are part of our story, part of what we understand happened when Jesus was born. The angels appeared to the shepherds at night. Jesus was born at night. The wise men came and followed a star at night. Joseph and Mary fled to Egypt at night. Jesus, we say, came in the world's dark night. See, see, What the Bible says is that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. But the prophet Isaiah, which was the first uh, quote that we gave you at the beginning of the service, says that we are a people who live in darkness. In fact, we dwell, he says, in deep darkness. This is home for us. Our, Our home naturally is within darkness, not light. And the Bible tells us this was God's idea. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, uh, 3, verse 11. We're going through the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll get back there in February. But uh, this amazing book of the Bible, and, and, and Solomon says that, that God has put darkness in men's hearts yet so that they cannot find out what he's doing. I mean, he's just, there's darkness. I, I, I'm groping. I'm trying to figure out what's going on, but I don't know what's going on. Or you hear what Paul says in, in Acts chapter 17. He says that, that God put boundaries around people. Like, I'm, I'm going to hem you in. And he says so that they would grope in the hopes that they would, might feel their way toward him and find him. So you get the picture here. It's like uh, life apart from Christ is like living in a pitch black room and the walls filled with switches and what we do throughout our entire life is try to flip switches to bring on the light but we you know go over this light this flip and you know we, we switch and we flip that and like okay that's not the light that's the disposal and we go over here and we flip that switch well that's not the light that's that's the oven fan whatever I mean we, we we're trying to flip switches our entire life trying to figure out how do I bring light into my dark world so so there is this darkness the Bible says Jesus says that God has put there and nothing in all creation can get rid of that darkness. And maybe, maybe that's bad news because for some of you, because it means that you can try and you will. There's nothing I can do to stop you. You, you just will. Every person in this room is doing something to try and bring light to their life. So you'll fill it up. You'll be flipping switches your entire life until the day you die and nothing brings the light on. Nothing showers your life with light because you you haven't found the light switch yet. The Bible is so honest, if you'll let it be, 
I mean, it will show you why you are never, ever satisfied. Why there is this eternal-sized hole. There is this darkness that can't see, you can't seem to dispel. That you can't ever get enough stuff. You can't get enough sex. You can't get enough knowledge. You can't get enough money. You keep pouring it in and pouring it in because you need an everlasting fountain. You need something that is eternal to fill that up. You need light to shine into the darkness. Now, some of us will try. We'll try even at Christmas, right? We'll try with our kids, and you'll, great experiment, by the way. Try this with your kids, and you'll find out within about an hour, you tried to flip that switch, that didn't work, right? And probably by next year, you'll ask your kids, what'd you get for Christmas? I have no idea, right? We try, we try to fill it up with stuff, it just doesn't work. See, see, our problem is deeper, way, way deeper, the Bible says. The problem is our heart, and what we do as human beings is we see, okay, there's a heart problem, I'll fix a heart problem with a Band-Aid, and that doesn't work, does it? So, so, so we become desperate. I mean, we are desperate creatures trying to fill up this void, trying to light up this blackness. Now, I don't think, by the way, desperate is an exaggeration. Like, does anybody pay attention to the news that about Black Friday of every year, it seems like it's an annual tradition that somebody has to be trampled at Walmart seeking after something, Right? We're desperately trying to fill up this void in our hearts. And everybody's doing this. So so what's the solution? That's really the question. Is there anything that can light this up? Is there, and what does this have to do with Christmas, Chris? Well, it has everything to do, and I ask you to turn to John chapter 1 on page 886, and I want you to start reading in verse 1 of John 1. And I want you to hear what John has to say about the very first Christmas. Ready? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is, this is an absolutely amazing passage if we'll just dig into it a little bit, okay, and try to figure out what John is saying. John says straight up in verse 5, the light shines right now, present tense, in the darkness, and the darkness cannot, has never been able to, never will be able to overcome the darkness. I took my kids and we all went to, to The Hobbit the other night, and uh, if you've seen it, I'm not going to well, you've probably read the book, so I can't ruin it for you. But in any event, uh, there's a part where, you know, the Gandalf, the, the main wizard, is, is going, and there's the necromancer, and the necromancer's sort of dark, you know, and, and Gandalf, you know, raises his, his light, and, and essentially the darkness tries to envelop it, and it can't, and there's this big kind of battle between light and darkness. Well, okay, I get that. That's just not how it works, is it? You don't have to battle with the darkness if you turn on the light. Just flip it on. And it cannot overcome it. We'll see that even practiced here in a moment when we light our candles and see how that works, right? So, so, so the darkness keeps trying. It just can't do it. So Jesus comes into our world. He brings life to people. And doing that overcomes, overpowers darkness. His impact isn't limited to the first century. It's rippled all the way through time. It shines right now in the darkness. Jesus comes into our fractured, jacked up world and he puts it back together again. He lights up the darkness. So if we're groping around in the darkness, if that's who we are, if the people who dwell in darkness, which is us, 
searching for a light switch, is Jesus that switch? Can Jesus, if you will, light up our lives? Can he bring the eternal light and dispel the darkness around us? I I love this passage because I want to show you the answer is yes. And let's unpack it. And I just want to show you a few things. And I'm not going to preach very long. And some of you are like, whatever. I don't believe that. Just wait. Okay, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go very long. I just want, I wanted to point out a few things. This isn't, we could spend weeks on these five verses. This is profound what John is telling us. And I just want to show you five things. Okay? Number one, I want you to see that Jesus is eternal. Look how John says this. In the beginning was the Word. <laughs> now stop right there, okay? In the beginning, all the way back at the beginning, I mean eternally, Jesus is already there. When the beginning came, Christ was there. And this is where Jesus is so different from us as human beings. Okay, like Foothill Church is going through a baby boom. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's lots of big bellies around here and not just because they're fat, right? There's one back, hey, there's a little baby back there, right? So, so, Lots of babies being born. Like, like the last six weeks, we've been like, I don't know, like five babies. We had one foster adopt child. I mean, there's all kinds of women pregnant. Be careful going over there to the children's area because I don't know what will happen to you. But in any event, lots of babies coming. Now, I remember, I'm a father of four, and I remember when Gabby was coming along, and I remember when we first found out, or Michelle found out before me, and then we're sitting in a restaurant, and she passes across this gift, and I open it up, it's this little tiny pair of, like, Christmas booties, and I'm like, you know, thanks, baby, but these don't fit, and, uh, and then it dawns on me, wait, oh, we're having a baby, right? I remember this all my kids. You, 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 you have this anticipation about my kids are coming. Now, I know we, we have all these myths that before our kids were born, our kids were angels. Okay, not even close to the truth. All you have to do is have a baby to find out that's not true, okay? Because if they're angels, then very quickly their body is inhabited by a demon, and they're doing things in your home that are awful, right? So I love kids. They're wonderful, but, but they're not angels. There's angels, and there's people, and that's not children. Now, here's, here's what I know about my kids, My kids were not walking around in heaven in some waiting room waiting for God to give them a body. They were not eternally existent in the heavenly realm and then God brought them to earth. No, my kids, your kids, their beginning was in their mommy's womb. They had a beginning. They will have, if you will, an end. Life and death. And this is where Jesus is so eternally different. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and that was nowhere near the beginning of his days. He had existed eternally before them. Now, now listen, that little phrase right there, if you'll just stop, will blow your mind. This is unbelievable. (laughs) Jesus eternally existed. Now, that's great news, by the way. Because here's what I know. Every person in this room is searching for some eternal fountain to fill them up. And the Bible says that's Jesus. (laughs) He's the only thing that can fill up the eternal void of your heart. Okay, let's keep going. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is God. That's the second thing I want you to see. He's God. Not not a man. 
He's not a great philosopher. He's not a moral teacher. I know people like to talk about him that way. They're like, you know, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, I think he was this great philosopher. I think he was this really moral, wonderful person that walked the earth. C.S. Lewis sort of put that to rest and said, you don't have that choice to make because Jesus, we we don't call someone who says about themselves, I'm God. We don't look at them and say, you're a wonderful moral person. Walk down to Venice Beach, find somebody who says, I'm God. You will never say, you're a wonderful moral person. You'll be like, you're a lunatic who needs to be thrown into a hospital. So, so Jesus is either, as C.S. Lewis said, a liar, he's a lunatic, or he really is the Lord that he says he is. He's not a philosopher. We, we don't need philosophers. Philosophers aren't what get us, fill up the void. In our, I mean, look at, let me, let me give you, help you kind of just picture this. Like, like when humanity was walking and we were doing, God put us on a trail, if you will, we're out hiking, and we got lost. Okay, we lost our way, the Bible says. Now, when you get lost, everything with you gets lost. If you're carrying a backpack, your backpack is not found and you're lost. Everything, all of your baggage gets lost with you. Philosophy gets lost with you, right? Relationships get lost with you. Everything in our lives is lost with us. Our philosophers aren't leading the way. Our philosophers are the one who helped us get lost in the first place. They're the reason we're wandering around in the dark. We don't need a philosopher. We don't need a great moral teacher. We need God with flesh on to come and say, I'll show you the way out of the dark forest. And listen, I I, I say Jesus is God, not just because what John said right here. Look, read the Gospels. If this is true, he flexes this God muscle all the time. You don't have to turn one chapter and you get to John chapter 2. And Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana, Galilee, and he turns water into wine. Now stop, think about this. That's, that's a chemical change. That's, that's H2O turning to something that has an, you know, alcohol and fruit content and all this. And they tasted it and they said, well, how come you brought out the good wine first? I mean, he didn't just make water into, you know, it's kind of sort of wine. It's great wine, apparently. He flexes it when he, in John 4, he's going to go to a woman. He's going to look right into her soul and he's going to tell you, I'm going to tell you about yourself. And she's like, you got to guys, you got to all come and hear this man who told me everything about me. He flexes it when he stands up on the water as his disciples are going across the lake and he literally walks and they see him passing in the night. He flexes it when he, when he says to a storm that is raging, shut up, like a little, speaking to a little spoiled child and it shuts up instantaneously. We're not talking like, it rained this week. You know, we have the great California rainstorm came this week and, 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 uh, can you imagine, though, even in our little puny rainstorm, imagine somebody walking outside with you, and they're like, I've had enough of this. Stop. And it doesn't just start to stop. Boom. Gone. Sun out. Clouds gone. Rain gone. What would you do? You'd be like, whoa. Who are you? I'm Batman. No, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> right. You'd be like, this is, this is amazing. That's exactly what happened, right? He flexes this all the time. He says to a dead man, come out. And he comes out. He's God. See, I mean, is Christ able to overcome the darkness in your heart? Yes. He's God. 
He can do anything. Now look at this. Jesus is all-powerful. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It literally says in the Greek, it says anything that came into being came into being through Jesus. If it came into being, he did it. Colossians, Paul's going to write in Colossians, he's going to say that anything that was made was made by Jesus, whether visible or invisible. Now that's, Jesus apparently makes invisible things. So, so, I mean, this is crazy. So we look around and we say, man, Jesus made the mountains, and Jesus made the sun, and Jesus made the stars, and all these things. But apparently there's a whole other universe beyond what we can see, and he made it all. And it says that everything was created by him and for him. And listen to what Paul says. And he holds all things together. He, he holds it all. You know when the earth will end? I'm talking about a date. It won't be because an asteroid smashes into us, and it's not going to be because of global warming. I'm not criticizing this. I'm saying it's going to end when Jesus decides at a subatomic level, um, I'm done holding it together. Boom. He holds it all. And he holds your life. I don't know why. I don't know why anybody would want to put their life in the hands of anyone else, including themselves. He holds you together. And the moment he says you're done, you're done. Then he says Jesus is, is life. Look at verse four. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, what Jesus is gonna say Later on, John chapter 10, verse 10, he's going to say, I came to bring you life abundantly. Now, this is interesting that he says that because he says that to people who are walking and breathing and seeing and like they're sentient beings, right? They, some of them are living life to the fullest, they would say, like they have great jobs, lots of money in the bank, everything's going fine, no real problems, they got their health, they got all this, and Jesus says to them, these people would say, we got it all, I came to bring you life. So, so apparently, you can exist or you can have life. Apart from Jesus, that's what we are. We, we merely exist. We are the walking dead. We are spiritual zombies. We, 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 are, we are merely existing creatures. Merry Christmas. Um, so, so, so without Christ, you can have a job. You can have nice stuff. You can have a house, you can have relationships, you can have a great marriage, you can have children, you can have sex, you can have money, you can have friends, and you can, by His grace, even experience great joy. But outside of Christ, none of those things will ever satisfy you. You get money, I just need more. Get a job, I need a better one. Get a spouse, done with this one, I need a new one. Whatever, right? None of them ever satisfy. There will still be this massive gaping hole because without Christ, you're not fully alive, the Bible says. Jesus says. You're living in darkness. Now listen, 
Some of you just know this. I don't, this isn't like, I'm going to try to convince you you're living in darkness. Some of you go, I get it. I'm living in darkness right now, and I know it. My life, I look, I keep trying to fill up, I keep trying to light this thing, and it's not working. And anyone in this room who is a Christian, I mean genuinely a follower of Jesus, you will say, I know this about myself. I knew I was in darkness. One of the things that made me run to Jesus is I knew I was in darkness and I needed the light. See, see. now some of you don't want to come out of the light, and I'll talk about that in a minute, because maybe you think Christ is waiting there to beat you, right? He's just this angry God, and if you come to him, like, like when I was a kid, you know, my, my grandpa we'd go to his barn and he knew there was a rat eating some of his grain or something. And so he would literally arm us with clubs and we would stand over these holes in the hay or whatever, you know. I'm like five years old, go grandpa, right? And, and, and he'd start flushing them out. My brothers and I would be all the different places where we think the, the thing would come and it'd come shooting out of the darkness into the light. We'd try to jack it. They're so fast. I mean, by the time I, I was whipped, the thing was 80 yards ahead of me. I, I'd never catch it, right? I never did it. Well, this is what we think, right? We're coming out of the dark, coming out of this dark hole and Jesus is just waiting there to jack us. No, he's not. He's waiting there to love you. He's saying, in me is life. I'm here to give you life to the fullest, right? He's saying, look, you have no idea. There are such deeper pools for you to swim in. There are such better morsels. There are desires that I will awaken you. There are tastes that you do not know. C.S. Lewis, I'll pick on him again, says it the best. He says, the problem with us is that as human beings outside of Christ, we are like children playing in mud puddles in the slum, and we prefer that because we don't get that by Jesus we're being beckoned to a holiday at sea. He's not beckoning you to beat you. He's beckoning you to give you life. That's what Jesus does. And and C.S. Lewis is right. What do we do? We prefer to actually stay and play in the mud puddles. Jesus' life. Now look at verse 5. Last thing I want you to see. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is light. Now, how many of you were afraid of the dark when you were a kid? I mean, just be honest, right? How many of you are still afraid of the dark? Me, right? I'm one of them. On the rare occasions when Michelle's gone, it's, if the kids are gone too, oh, my house is creepy, and, and uh, I'm like, you know, get the dogs, kids, if you're home, let's all just sleep in the same bed tonight. That'd be awesome, right? I'm terrified, right? I hate that. You hear all the squeaks, the, the stuff. Isn't it interesting, th- by the way, that fear of darkness is, is almost a universal phenomenon? Like, I don't, I don't know any culture, and maybe some of you can enlighten me if you're like archaeologists or something, or, you know, that, that, that there's a culture out there that just loves being in darkness, like, like we're, we're like innately afraid of the dark. There's something about the dark that's very unsettling. Could it be that God did that to us? Could it be that God has hardwired our souls to search for light because we're afraid of the dark? I think so. But the Bible also says, in fact, Jesus is going to say it in John 3. He's going to say something very interesting 
People aren't just afraid of the dark. Some people are afraid of the light. He says that the light comes, but men loved darkness more than light. What does he mean? Like, because what does the light do? If I come into the light, it reveals things. And they're saying they don't want their sin revealed. They would rather live their lifestyle. They'd rather stay in the dark. They'd, and Jesus says, look, I'm not, again, I'm not beckoning you out of the dark so that I can hammer you and beat you. Look, it, it's like a doctor shining a light, shining an x-ray and saying, look, I just found a tumor. I just found a problem. Here it is. I want you to see this. I don't do this to judge you. I don't do this to show you what an awful person you are. I do this because that thing is killing you. Come into the light. The Bible says that the God of this world blinds the minds of un- the, the eyes of unbelievers. So they can't see God. And what God does, he come and he, he pours light upon them. He calls the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And when you see it, and there it is, and you run to the light, and God's not on the other side. Like when you come out of the dark forest and into the light of Christ, he's not out there waiting to be angry with you and yell at you. He's waiting to say, let me show you. See, because here's what, here's what light does. Light shows us what's really there, doesn't it? I mean, if, we, if you all would have come into a dark room tonight and you just heard voices, you'd all have kind of an imagination about what does this room really look like? Turn on the lights, boom. Oh, that's reality. I have now seen reality. See, the thing about human beings is we don't like reality. And Jesus comes and he shines a light so that you see reality. But what also it does is it shows us what happened during the nighttime. Right? I mean, if, if somebody spray paints graffiti on a wall, nobody saw it, come daytime, look at, oh, look what happened at night. See, this is what Jesus does. I want to I shine the light because I want you to see reality. And yeah, it's going to reveal some things that happened tonight, but this is the cure. This is what will shine. This will shine into your soul, right? So Jesus enters our world, the son of the king of light. His light shines in the darkness. The darkness cannot overpower it. And, and that means you don't have to grope in the darkness anymore. I mean, this is this great news. You don't have to keep flipping switches hoping maybe it's the next one. Oh, that didn't work. Maybe it's the next one. Maybe it's more of this one. If I just keep flipping this one up and down, maybe that'll finally get the light to come on. Christ comes into this chaos-filled, beauty-deprived, groping, stumbling, bruising world of darkness. He pierces the darkness. He showers it with light. This is what Isaiah says, quoted you at the beginning. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And he says, how? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. That's how. See, it's a, it's a holy night. It's a holy night because the light pierced the darkness because God, through Christ, reached down into our groping world and said, here it is, I'm gonna light it up, now just come. I'm gonna pierce the darkness of your heart. And he does that one person at a time. So this is Christmas. This is Christmas. And this is why we worship And this is why we eat chocolate and fudge and divinity and turkey and unbuckle our belts and eat more. This is why we give presents. This is why we go overboard. This is why people lift their hands because we recognize 
that the light, the light has come and the darkness has not overcome it. Praise God and Merry Christmas. Let's pray.